morning, everyone. Our reading today is from John chapter 1. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptized with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but, his, but this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might re, be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it re, reminded of him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the God. In 1977, a movie came out on May 25th that is considered one of the top ten important movies that have ever been made. It began with these words, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Who knows what movie I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was one of the two very significant movies, I think, that came out that same year. The other was Rocky, uh, another movie that came out. Uh, but if you remember that prologue that came through a long time ago in a galaxy far away, and then all this writing that came, that crawled on through, that told you the story. It's, it's, it's a, such a, it's such a uh, um, uh, unusual way to begin a movie that it really changed the way that people thought about it. Such a significant uh, movie. And then, of course, they follow that with The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi. And I hope, maybe you're like me, you kind of wish they'd have stopped after three because those were really good. Uh, just didn't quite seem the same 20 That was actually 35 years ago, older than some of you have been alive, um, which is really tragic for me to admit. But in any case, it started out with that, that prologue that began to gave you the story, talks about the empire that's there and, and that they have a special code and there's a princess that's going to be trying to uh, de deliver that, save that code. So you sort of set the story and, and set the big themes. Well, that's what we looked at last week. We looked at the prologue to the Gospel of John. We're studying the Gospel of John here in a series called Meeting Jesus. And in the first 18 verses, we could have begun it by saying, a long time ago, in a galaxy far away, there was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the... You've got to imagine this coming in a crawling form on your TV screen, right? And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. So that's what the prologue is about. And the same with the Star Wars movie gave you that prologue opening theme that kind of gave you a sense of where this story is going and who the major characters are going to be. There's an empire, there's a Death Star, there's a, a, a renegade rebel army, rebel force, those, those kind of things. Then in the rest of the movie, in fact, the rest of the series of movies, essentially, you have the playing out of that story. Well, that's what we learned about last week when we, uh, uh, when we, when we saw the prologue uh, to this story in, in John 1 to 18. Now we're in the 19th verse, and we're beginning this story. We're beginning to learn who this Jesus, uh, this Jesus is, what he's about. Um, and I liken this part of the story kind of like to when in the first Star Wars movie, you saw um, um, Luke, I, I don't know if he was called Skywalker at the beginning or not, but if you remember, before he became the great pilot, he was just a kid living with his uncle in the midst of a, a faraway island, uh, desert planet called Tatooine. He lived with his uncle Owen and his aunt Beru, right? And he found R2-D2 and C-3PO because of a crash there. And he's just an obscure little guy. And yet, he became the real key to the development of the whole rest of the story. And that's kind of the way you see the Christian story coming. If you lived in Rome in the first century... Palestine was simply a place where a lot of problems happen. You have, a, you have some weak people who are in an important trade route. You want to keep the lanes open. Um, and they have some strange religious convictions. But really, it's not very important. In fact, outside of the Scripture, Jesus himself is only mentioned three times in all of ancient literature in, you know, of, the, of the time period. He was virtually unknown in his time to anyone. He was just like Luke Skywalker, living in a desert island, you know, um, calling a few followers and having his own thing. It didn't seem like anything much. But look what happened in the course of just a few generations. This small group of followers that, that Jesus developed, first Andrew and John and, and, and James and, and Peter and Philip. We'll read about them this morning. These people literally changed the world. I mean, it's fascinating. It's a lot more fascinating than what Luke Skywalker did because this is a true story about historical events. So as we take a look at this study, we're trying to take a look at who is this Jesus? What's he about? What does it mean to really, really meet him? And so in the section that Michelle read for us, she helped us to see something about this Jesus. And so the first thing that we find out about Jesus is that the first character is not Jesus at all. It's John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, you know, and we read about John coming. This is the testimony of John, all right? So this is kind of a curious thing. John was a very important person in the early New Testament period, um, and, uh, and yet he's so obscure to us. So this morning, I want to talk to you about three characters, very simply, very straightforward, very easy, and you can jot them down. We want to, we want to meet this morning three people. The first one we want to meet is John the witness. John, the witness. I'll tell you who the next two are as we go. Why don't I call him John the Baptist? Well, he didn't call himself the Baptist. They called him John the Baptist, all right, Uh, because he baptized people. But he called himself a witness, all right? Um, So other people call his mother. Did you know this, that John's mother and Jesus' mother were cousins? 
Mary, Jesus' mother, was a cousin to Elizabeth, John's mother. Um, and so that makes John and Jesus, I guess you would call that second or third cousins, something to that effect. Yeah, I think it might be second cousin, third cousin, third cousin. In any case, they were related. John was probably about six months or so or older than John. They probably didn't, Jesus, they probably didn't grow up together really, but they certainly uh, knew one another. Though he's just kind of a footnote to us today, he's very important in the New Testament story. Every gospel writer, John included, John the gospel writer included, takes time to tell us about John. And we find even in the book of Acts that there are still followers of John after the church began. He had a huge following of people who came to be baptized by him and to express their repentance and their longing for the Messiah to come. Okay, um, he's a very important. And they're going to be. We'll see three about three things about John in this text. And about each person we're going to talk about, we're going to learn three things about them. The first thing to see about John is that John prepared the way. His purpose was to prepare the way. Look at verses 19 to 23. And this is the testimony or the witness of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. See, they thought, well, maybe you're the Messiah. Well, no, I'm not the Messiah. Did you know, let me clarify, whenever you see the word Christ, you know that, do you know that literally is the word Messiah? Christ is not Jesus' second name, not Gilbertson is to me. He's not Jesus. He, didn't, he wasn't born to Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. Uh, he was Jesus the Messiah. Christ is simply the Greek way of referring to him. So, uh, are you the Christ or are you the Messiah? He said, no. Well, are you Elijah, a great prophet? No. Uh, well, who are you, a prophet? He said, so, they, so he said to them, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, there's two allusions happening in this. First of all, he's quoting directly from Isaiah chapter 40, all right? Uh, in that same passage, which says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So he's referring to the Jewish hope that there would be someone coming who would proclaim the way for the Lord to come when God would come back to Israel. Okay? But the second allusion is, of course, in that time period, they didn't have letters, they didn't have television, they didn't have email, they didn't have text messaging. How would you know about news? Whenever a king was coming, whenever something excited had happened in the kingdom and you wanted people to know about it, you would send out messengers, and they would come, and they would come and say, the king is coming, or, the, 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 or, or a new regime is in charge, or these are the new taxes, and these are the heralds, the proclaimers. So they're coming, especially they would come to a, new com- to a community and say, the king is coming, so get ready for him. Clean up your act. Make sure, it's like when you, if you have a business, the inspector is coming. You know, make sure. Make sure everything's ready to go. So, preparing the way. So, he was there to prepare the way for the Lord. Okay, as a herald, he would announce the arrival of the king. So, he didn't know exactly what was going to be happening, but he knew his calling was to say, get ready. This is why he, had, he baptized people. Jewish people were not generally baptized. If you were a non-Jew and wanted to become a Jew, you might be baptized. But Jews themselves weren't usually baptized. So when John called them to be baptized, he was saying to these Jewish people, you've been looking for the coming of the Messiah, you've been looking for the coming of the king, but you're not quite ready. Don't just pre- you prepare the city for the coming, prepare your hearts. You need to repent to prepare for the coming of the king. So John came, number one, to, point, to prepare the way. 
The second reason John came, John's purpose was to point the way. John's purpose was to point the way. Um, and in fact, in, in verses 6 through 9, the passage earlier that we looked at last week, uh, John says, there was a man came from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to the light, to bear witness to the light. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. So he is called to prepare the way, but also to point to Jesus. See, John didn't promote himself. John promoted Jesus. Well, at first he really didn't, uh, uh, um, he didn't know who Jesus was, but he did promote Jesus. We see it here in verse 29 of this text, and I printed those in your worship notes so you can see them there if you don't have your own Bibles. In verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. This, is, this must have been a hugely strange moment for John, because he's looking at his cousin. He's seen him forever, different times, Right? They weren't strangers. And all of a sudden, he comes, and he recognizes, this is Jesus. Well, John alludes to it in here, but, he, but the writer of the gospel assumes that we know that this happened when he baptized Jesus. John doesn't talk about his baptism in this gospel, but every other gospel does. But look what John says in verse 32. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he baptizes Jesus, and then he sees the Holy Spirit descending on him, and he says, this is the guy. See, John's purpose was to prepare the way in people's hearts, but then once he saw Jesus, to point people to Jesus. Look, that's him. He knew that people were searching for truth. He said, you got to prepare your hearts for truth. Open up the space for something new in your life. Repent of your own selfishness. But then when he saw who the truth was, he was quick to say, look, that's him. Now, you and I know people. In fact, all of us are searching for truth. Everybody wants to believe something. The Christian message is that Jesus is the person in whom everyone wants to believe. So he pointed the way. And the third thing we see about John, he prepared the way, he pointed the way, and thirdly, he got out of the way. He got out of the way. Now, this is found in the third chapter of John, and I think we minimize how significant this was. In the third chapter, oh, I did have it open, the wind blew it over. Um, in the third chapter of John, it happens, Jesus is starting to get, uh, you know, more notoriety, and because of John, essentially, um, People start to follow Jesus, and then people get concerned for John. John, the, the, your, your followers are going to follow him. Now, again, don't forget, you probably don't realize, John had a huge following. There were followers of John in Africa. When Apollos came uh, to Corinth um, in the earliest days of the church, after the church had been going for 10, 20 years, 
Apollos comes into Corinth, and he's from Alexandria, which is the second greatest city in the whole Roman Empire after Rome. It's on the northern edge of Africa. It's the it's extreme place of learning. Don't think of southern Africa, but northern Africa. John, Apollos comes, and he's an evangelist, but he's an evangelist for John and Jesus as much as he knew about it, Right? That's how far the extent of John's influence had reached. So this was no small thing, people going off way. And John was going to say, no, no, no. My purpose was not to gather followers for me, but to turn people to Jesus. And he said in that text of Scripture, John chapter 3, I'll read it for you, uh, a, a part of it. Um, John chapter 3, verse 20, uh, uh, 22 uh, and 23 um, Verse 25, I should say. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciple with the Jew about purification. Um, And it says, and John said, um, uh, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He must increase I must decrease. And so before we leave John, um, let's ask ourselves the question, where am I in the John story? If John is a witness, at what part of John's story can I see myself? John was a guy who prepared the way. How about me? Am I a guy and I'm a, am I a gal who prepares the way for others to respond to Jesus? Do some of the blade work early on of developing relationships, just getting to know people, caring about people, just being there for people. Maybe that's how John relates to me. Am I in that place? Or the second thing we saw about John, John pointed to the way. Maybe I can ask that question. Am I pointing others to Jesus when I have the chance? Or am I instead promoting myself? It's very easy to promote yourself, isn't it? You don't mean to, but you get sort of self-focused. You want people to like you. you, you Do you use opportunities when you have them? When people ask what matters to you or why you do things, you know, do you use that opportunity to say, well, I do things because of this man, Jesus, you know, that lived a long time ago. I follow Jesus. Do you point people to Jesus whenever you can? Or maybe the third part of John's story, John got out of the way. Do you ever get rather possessive about your life? Oh, this is the one that strikes me. You know, I, I was just talking to Donna about it just a couple of days ago, that I have this bad habit of, of like, doing nice things for people or being nice to people and then expecting something out of it. You know what I'm saying? Expecting them to like me or expecting them to come to church, you know? Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are people I was talking, in this particular case, I was talking to someone. I said, I'm more, this is terrible to admit, from a pastor, but I said to Donna, you know, I am more of a pastor in that person's life than their own pastor is. Why don't they want to come be a part of what we're doing? You know, you, you see how we can be manipulative? So that's my application out of John. I don't know. Are you preparing the way or are you living your own way, just caring about yourself? When, do you point to Jesus when you have the opportunity or do you not? Do you shut your mouth? Or do you always expect, thanks, um, do you always expect people to uh, affirm you when you serve them, you see? John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is good. The bridegroom has come. They want to follow the bridegroom. 
uh, not the best man, <laughs> you know, the bridegroom. Okay, that's John. There's another person in this story, and you didn't know about him yet. His name is Andrew the disciple. Andrew the disciple. He's found in a later portion of this story. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of it, uh, and I don't just mean Andrew. There's actually three or four guys that I want to talk about. Andrew's a good example. Verse 35, if you have your own Bibles. Otherwise, just listen as I read. The next day, this takes from where Michelle read earlier. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. See, two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the second time. He said, Look, that's the Lamb of God. It's like uh, Brian and Michelle are with me, and I see Jesus walk by. Look, the Lamb of God, right? Behold, the Lamb of God, which means to look intently. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So they're leaving John to go follow Jesus, all right? Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, well, What are you seeking? We should have acted this out, huh? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, no, come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Too bad Andrew's not here today. I would have picked on him. We have a, his son's name is Andrew. Um, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, this is Andrew who became a disciple of Jesus, was first a disciple of John, you see? And Andrew was the brother to whom? Simon Peter. You ever heard of him? Yeah. Guess who introduced him to Jesus? Andrew. And guess whose disciple Andrew was? John. The first disciples of Jesus were, first, were originally disciples of John, all right? But the, so... He first, verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I'm going to read the rest since I won't have a chance later to read it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, he's down by the Jordan, uh, Bethany by the Jordan. He's going north to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So now we have three disciples. Well, we actually have another one because there were two disciples who's not named. Remember, this was Andrew, uh, 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 Andrew and his brother, right? There was another, and I, he was a guy, not a girl. But we think the other disciple was John, the guy who wrote this gospel. He's never named in this gospel, Andrew and John, all right? Um, anyway, so... Um, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So, Philip and Andrew and Peter were in the same town, all right? Um, Philip then found Nathanael, oh, another guy, and said to him, we found him in whom the Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him the same thing Jesus had said to them, come and see. Oh, I I wish I had time to just talk about this. This is so fascinating to me. Um, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in which there is no deceit. Nathanael said, How do you know? Anyway, bottom line is Nathanael. So here we have five disciples of Jesus. We have an unnamed disciple who's probably John, the guy who wrote the gospel. We have Andrew, all right? These were both disciples of John, the Baptist. Andrew goes find his brother Peter. That makes three, all right? 
Um, and then we have uh, uh, Jesus the next day seeing Philip, who happens to live in the same town as Andrew and Peter, right? That makes four. And Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and says, hey, I think this is the Messiah. Who? How can it be the Messiah? Well, come and see. The first five disciples. You know, the, we know about the, the wide-reaching implications of the church, but, you know, it just began on a dusty road outside the Jordan with Jesus and four or five guys, Andrew and Peter and John and Nathaniel and Philip. These people began to follow Jesus, and they are the ones. They were the first adopters. Now, here we are in the first few weeks and months of a new church, all right? I'm trusting that all of you will want to be We'll be that Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter, and we'll come to our friends and we'll say, hey, come and see, come and see, come and see. A lot of churches start with a lot of money, a lot of programming, a lot of that sort of thing. That's all good if you've got it, but what if you don't got it? <laughs> we can do it the way Jesus did it, right? We can just, and again, we're not trying to point to ourselves. We're going to point to Jesus. Come and see, come and see. Oh, okay, all right. Let me give you three quick points about Andrew. The first thing about Andrew, Andrew sought the truth. He sought the truth. He was a disciple of John. He was a, he was a Jewish guy who just had been kind of dissatisfied with the nature of his religion. He knew it was, there needed to be more. He wanted his heart cleansed. He didn't really know Jesus yet, but he was a seeker of the truth. There are a lot of people around us. In fact, most people are seekers of the truth. And uh, uh, they may not be looking at Jesus just yet, but don't shame them for that. Don't, don't get mad at them. Don't yell at them. Don't say, you're wrong. You're going to hell. Don't just, you know, say, I'm glad you're searching for truth. In my search, I found Jesus. And I'd love for you to meet him too. See? Yeah. He was a seeker of truth. Or a seeker of truth, you know. Or a searcher of truth. Or a searcher of truth. Whichever way you want to say it. <laughs> and anyways, he was a seeker of truth. Secondly, Andrew followed the truth. When he saw, when he was told, this is the Lamb of God, he goes and he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? So if I, if, in that day, if I were to go to you and say, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's kind of like, I'm interested in learning from you, you see? And Jesus was, come and see him. You see, I think that is Jesus' response to everybody. He, he, if you don't believe it all just yet, it's okay. Come and see. If you're not sure what you think about Jesus, it's all right. Come and see. Hang out with him for a while. And by the next day, they were disciples of Jesus, okay? So he was, but he was, he followed the truth when he found it. And then thirdly, John was a sharer of the truth. You see, the first thing he did, it says, he went, I said John, I mean Nathaniel, or Andrew, he went and found his brother, right? Simon Peter. If you have known Jesus, we need to be involved in sharing Jesus in simple and profound ways like they did. So, where am I in the Andrew story? Well, maybe I'm a seeker of the truth. Good for you if you're seeking the truth. Good for you. We encourage you to take a look at Jesus, all right? Maybe, or maybe like Andrew, in the Andrew story, follow the truth. Maybe you've been sort of seeking after Jesus, learning, but you've never really said, okay, I'm going to follow. Well, make a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus, you know? Uh, and then finally, share the truth. You know, you become part of Jesus' outreach plan. You know, we don't have, like you here at this church, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of anything. What we have is us, and we have Jesus, right? 
just follow Jesus and point out this to him and invite them to come and see. Right? Okay. Well, there's a third person in this story, and I'm going to be very brief as I talk about him. And that person is Jesus. Jesus. John was a witness. Andrew was a disciple. Andrew the disciple. I don't know if I gave that to you. And number three, Jesus. I had this great PowerPoint for this, but, you know, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Now, here is where we could get very deep and profound theologically, and I would love to do that, but this isn't the setting for that. There are three things that this text teaches us about Jesus. We've called this series Meeting Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus, but a lot of people don't really know what he's really like. This text tells us three things about Jesus. First of all, Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 34, John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, what John probably meant at that point was that Jesus was the Messiah, you know, himself, that he was the the anointed one. But what John, the gospel writer who wrote this book, is wanting us to see, not just that Jesus was an anointed person, the Christ, the Messiah, but that that anointed person was, in fact, God in the flesh. If you don't know that, look at the first 14 verses of this text when it says the Word was God and the Word became flesh. So the first thing that we need to understand about Jesus is that Jesus mixed humanity and divinity in a way that is beyond human understanding. Not 50-50, but as some creeds say it, he was very God and very man. I mean, he was fully human, and he was fully divine, not half and half. And in most of our uh, centuries, we kind of get one of those too strong. For a lot of us who call ourselves evangelical Christians, we're good on the divine part, but we forget about the human part. He really was a human being, you see. Some people are good on the human part, but they forget about the God part. We need both. He was the Son of God. Jesus was unique in all of history. We can affirm other spiritual leaders and people who tell the truth and as they understand it in lots of different ways, but we can never set anybody on the same plane as Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay? Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Verse 35 and verse 29 The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. I would guess that many of you, if you've gone to church quite a bit, have heard the phrase Lamb of God. You know, the word Lamb of God is only found twice in the Bible, and you just read them. They're both in this text. John was the guy who calls Jesus the Lamb of God, all right? Um, And uh, what does that mean? Oh, if only we had time. Let me just tell you this. Three years later, Jesus died. Jesus Jesus died on a Friday, and not just any old Friday. He died on the Passover Friday. He died at 3 o'clock on the Passover Friday, which was the very time of day and the very day and the very event when for centuries Jews had spent their Passover time and sacrificed a lamb. It harkens back to the story of Exodus. Oh, so much to say. When God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and just before they left, they observed what was called the Passover meal. 
when they took a clean and spotless lamb and sacrifices, spread the, spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, on the sides and on the top. And when that happened, when that sacrifice was made, they were saved. And they observed that for years. And Jesus became that Passover that Passover uh, a lamb. He died not just for the nation of Israel, but for all creation. Verse 12 of John 1 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not just Jews, everybody. So Jesus was the sacrifice given. Why? For our sin. Our sin problem is a problem none of us can fix. Only God could fix it. Jesus did it by giving his life. So Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And number three, Jesus gives the Spirit of God. Jesus gives the Spirit of God. Verse 32 and 33, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven and it remained on him. And he says, uh, he, verse 33, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a, an important theme throughout John, and I hope you guys are with us as we work through this book over the next careful months, because we will see the, Holy, the Spirit of God talked about again in chapter 7, and then we'll see him talked about again in the 14th and the 15th and the 16th chapters when he says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and then Jesus is raised, this happens on the night of his Last Supper, then Jesus is raised from the dead and shows him his hands and his side, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So we have the Spirit residing in the person of Jesus, and then be given in being given to the followers of Jesus. That's what it means in verse 33 when he says, baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So there are three things about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus gives the Spirit of God. Well, then again, let's, where do I fit in this story? Where am I in the Jesus story? Well, if he is the Son of God, what do I do with that? I need to worship him, Right? If he is the Lamb of God, what do I do with that? I need to trust in him. If he is the Spirit of God, what do I do with that? I need to surrender to him and follow him. You know, in the Star Wars movie, we, have, we soon discover that these people respond to something called a force. There's this sort of impersonal force. And the phrase that often got said in the first few years after the Star Wars movie was what? May the what? May the force be with you. And there was a sort of indefined reality, you know, that sort of there. Well, Jesus is alive today, but he's not just a force. He's a personality. He was raised bodily from the dead. He lives in a body today. And he gives to us his Holy Spirit, who is a spirit which can be grieved, which you can hurt the feelings of. Yes, the, you know, Jesus is not just a force. He is a person. And Jesus is not just a person. He is God. And Jesus is not just God. He is the sacrificed Lamb of God, risen Son of God, to whom our lives are owed. I encourage you to join me in bowing down before this Jesus. If you've not placed your faith in him, this would be a great time to do that. Maybe like Andrew, you say, oh, there he is. I want to follow him, you know. Let's have prayer as we close. Father, 
We are so grateful and thankful that we have the privilege of being here for this time of worship. We're thankful that out of that obscure place in a desert, not planet, but a desert area called Palestine, God invaded history in the person of Jesus, and that He lives today. He is the Son of God. We owe you our worship. He is the Lamb of God. We trust you for forgiveness of our sins. He gives the Spirit of God. We open ourselves to that. We pray that you would be honored and use us like you did those five guys, you know, Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter and John and Philip. One step at a time, one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.